Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope you're doing well today. And from my brothers and sisters way out east that are going through that horrific winter weather, I just want to say, stay warm, stay well fed, and listen to some backstories of Black History Moments with Bo. Because as far as the weather is concerned, this too shall pass. And before we get started today, I just want to say that I have found the key to success. I have found it. And the key to success is to stay away from idiots. Yes, I said it right. And yes, you do know a few of them. Because all you have to do is open up your Facebook page and bam, there they are. I would have never imagined that so much ignorance could be gathered in one place like it is on Facebook. Now, believe me when I say this technology is not a bad thing. It is wonderful to be able to correspond with people that you haven't seen or talked to in 20, 30, 40 years. But some of you people need to tone it down because sometimes it's better to remain silent and be thought of as a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. You know, the fear of colored people is almost 100% manufactured by the imaginations of white people. Because if the truth be told, white people are more likely to be physically harmed by another white person than by a person of color. The average white America has always been more likely to lose their job to another white person than to a person of color. The average white American is more likely to lose a spot at their dream college to a white person rather than a person of color. So what happens when you're terrified of living uh, next door to a person of color? Or, or better yet, more terrified of living without them? You see, that was the problem that the South faced at the close of the Civil War. You know, like everybody else, my roots go deep into the South. Alabama and Georgia. That was the home of my parents, where they were born, where their parents was born, and their parents were born. And many were fearful of leaving the South. But I gotta tell you, after the Civil War, the South was messed up. And the U.S. government did everything they could to try to rebuild the South. But along with everything they did came efforts to ensure that the enfranchisement of the newly emancipated black Americans went smoothly. And it was the Southern whites' worst nightmare come true. And the Columbus Democrat, a Mississippi newspaper, said, nigger voting, holding office, and sitting in a jury box are all wrong, but it was a humiliation that would not last long. 
because the government started running out of money to help rebuild the South. So Washington handed it over to the states and they burned it up. First thing on the agenda for the South was to restore the racial lifestyle they had previously enjoyed. And between 1882 and 1930, 2,400 blacks were murdered by Southern whites. And most black Southerners knew no one in the North and had no means to get there. And so once again, we were trapped. But a few blacks made it to the North simply out of desperation. And they found themselves making a lot more money than working the fields down South. And you know what we did? We sent word to family and friends back home that there was a way out of the terror, the devastation, and the extreme poverty that they had felt trapped in. And our people started leaving in droves. And to make it better, recruiters from the North accelerated their departures with promises of living wages, access to education, and an environment free of the racial terror of the post-Reconstruction South. And oh boy, Southern white community leaders went crazy. Because you see, agriculture at the turn of the 20th century was still very labor-intensive. The industry couldn't survive without large numbers of cheap workers. And although slavery meant that labor of black workers was no longer a free ride, as the only financially and logistically viable option open to white plantation owners, they were still grossly underpaid. You see, Southern whites really shot themselves in the foot because they tried multiple tactics to get blacks to stay. They cut their wages so they couldn't afford transportation north. They refused to cash paychecks for black workers. And if they had any suspicion that the money would be used to finance travel north, they would hold on to their money. And they also passed a law that stated if you came down there to recruit black workers to the north, it would be illegal. And they started jailing recruiters who showed up in southern cities. They also printed crazy stories of black northern life in local papers. They refused to sell bus tickets and train tickets to black travelers. They even arrested black people at bus stations on vagrancy charges. And you know behind that was a beating if they caught you trying to leave. But as they say, freedom doesn't come cheap. And none of that was effective in keeping blacks in the South. We fled in record numbers. Between 1916 and 1930, more than one million of us moved north in the hopes of finding jobs, education, and safety. At the time, Southern leaders changed tactics and decided to improve working and living conditions for blacks. Instead of antagonizing them, it was too late. The cat was out of the bag. And the Southern 
cotton industry was in shambles. And why? Because Southern elites had tied all their financial hopes into agriculture, a single industry, and they had driven away their workers that could have helped the region transition into new industries. The South would never be the model of prosperity it once considered itself. At the end of the Great Migration, more than six million of us had left the South and it would be forever changed. You see, at one time, 90% of blacks in the United States lived in the rural South. Now, just imagine, 90% of us were in the South. But by 1970, only 40-something percent of blacks lived in the South. You see, the legacy of slavery is still there in the remaining plantations and Confederate flags. By avoiding most political and economical progress that would have threatened white supremacy power by benefiting blacks as well as whites, the South shot itself in the foot. And here's a cold hard fact for you, my friends. Of the 10 poorest states in the United States, eight of them, Eight of them are in the South, and they are West Virginia, Kentucky, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. And these were all slave states. The story of the South's past contains slavery and violent white supremacy, and it is in the past, it is the present, and likely the future. The fact that these were slave-holding states hurt them from economic growth based on that past. You see, Southern whiteness could not envision life without black labor. That was the reason they fought the Civil War. It was a cause they thought worth sacrificing hundreds of thousands of white Southern lives to hold on to. The crazy part of this is, is while the South could not envision itself without black labor, it couldn't envision itself living alongside of black people. But let's just clarify and get one thing straight. Not all white Southerners were slaveholders. And many were poor and treated as second-class citizens themselves. And if you talk to them, they will tell you there is no history of racism in the South. And they'll even tell you that the Civil War was not about slavery. Black people were slaves. We were property. And we were money. And like any other form of wealth in a capitalist system, we were hoarded by the elite few. Only 25% of Southern households owned slaves. The average white Southerner was not a slaveholder. He was not rich, and the average white Southerner was often exploited by the same elites who enslaved blacks. But that don't mean that the average white Southerner was against slavery. Yeah, the white Southerners were low on the economic ladder, 
exploited by the elite whites as the underpaid muscle holding the whip, but it was a ladder they intended to climb, and the top rung always stretched just out of their reach, and we could not even hold that ladder. White supremacy is and has always been a pyramid system. The poor, ignorant white Southerner was field managers for the rich white slaveholders and looked upon by many in the North with contempt. They say the term white trash (laughs) actually was coined by enslaved blacks to describe the poor whites doing the dirty work of wealthy slave owners. And they had sold their souls for their sense of racial superiority. And for many, it was all they had. They would not let go easily. But poor white Southerners had little reason to stay in an economically devastated South. And every reason to leave for the same opportunities in the Northern factories that blacks were leaving for. And for the first time, black communities became established across the country. But the migration of Southern whites shaped the American landscape in ways that we are perhaps only beginning to understand. And here's the bottom line. Twice as many Southern whites left as blacks. But the thing of it is, when they left, they took their anger and racial bitterness with them. They were embarrassed and forced to leave their homes and felt they were looked down upon by northern and western whites. And we also must state that they had hard times adjusting to city life, and the kids had problems in their rigorous schools, and they felt mistreated by their new bosses. And on top of all of that, to add insult to injury, they often had to compete against blacks for jobs and sometimes even had to work alongside them. But white immigrants integrated into new communities rather quickly, and they saw themselves making better wages and opportunities than they had in the South. And within a generation, they were making wages that were practically the same as those earned by northern and western-born whites and they often got higher paid labor over blacks. Southern or not, these migrants were, after all, white. But you know, in the plants and factories of the North and the West, racial strife did not begin with the influx of white Southerners. Neither did it begin with the influx of black workers from the Great Migration. Black labor, Asian labor, and Mexican labor had always been a flashpoint for white workers. From the beginning of the expansion west through the industrial age, the United States needed more manpower than white citizens of still relatively young country could provide. And businesses wanted that dirty and dangerous work done for as little as possible. Wherever white workers and non-white workers were eyeing for the same job, there was a hassle. 
Strikes, riots, even murder were not unusual in areas where white men believed they might be in danger of being replaced by workers of color. And although white northerners had long resented the presence of workers of color, white migrants from the South endured the insult of having to put up with the people they were supposed to own. (laughs) The entire world had flipped the script on them. They had gone from being masters in training to everyday working nobodies. And they wondered how was a white man supposed to be a man in a world that seemed to be functioning to disempower him. Many white people like to think that racism is really just a Southern thing. And yes, racial incidents happen in California, in New York, in Ohio, But these are exceptions. The South was the place that wanted slavery, and the rest of the country fought to end it, right? So how bad could it be once you have left the South? Ask Rodney King. He was not beaten in the South. Ask Eric Garner. He was not choked to death in the South. And although white people in our so-called progressive cities and towns may pat themselves on the back for having never called anyone a nigger. Many of them also hope that we will not notice the strict racial segregation of neighborhoods and schools, the over-policing of black and brown neighborhoods, the job discrimination, or the persistent racial wealth gaps. The very idea of race in America was created for the subjugation of blacks and brown bodies for the seemingly benefits of white America. There are no corners in America that are exempt from this. The story of hardships that people of color have faced in this country does not end when black people left the South. And the story of white male supremacy doesn't stop at the Mason-Dixon line. So there you have it, my friends, the disparities between the North and the South. And it makes a lot of sense to me now why my mother (laughs) would never take me to her hometown when I was young growing up because she came from a city by the name of Alexander City, Alabama. And she was afraid with my mouth I would become another Emmett Till. So I never saw Alabama until I was a grown man. Thank you, Mom, for holding the reins on me. That music says it's that time, you guys. But before I go, I want to tell you something. Sometimes you have to let go of the picture of what you thought life would be like and learn to find joy in the story you are actually living. Until next time, it's been my honor.